You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Luke 2, 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul, own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, thank you for that, Tiana. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you uh, as we begin this new series, uh, Encounter. Well, I'll be honest, when I was growing up, I often thought of Jesus as a bit of a grump. I'd see him in the Gospels with his disciples, and it often felt like he was frustrated by them. Oh, you of little faith, or with Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, I understood why Jesus was saying these things. I mean, he was perfect, and his disciples were constantly stuffing up. But it just seemed to me that Jesus was a little bit severe, and I was kind of intimidated by him. But then uh, a number of years ago, I was thinking about that story where Jesus is teaching, and people bring the little children to him. The disciples try to shoo him away, and Jesus says, no, 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 let them come to me. And and as I was thinking about this, and as, as I thought about the, the children being with Jesus, it struck me as quite significant that the little kids wanted to be with Jesus, that they enjoyed being in his presence. And that's, that's important because little kids don't like grumpy people. They just don't gravitate to people who are severe. But they came to Jesus. They wanted to be around him, to be near him. This was a real revelation for me, and it really helped me in my own faith. I realized that I'd had this kind of uh, wrong view of Jesus and how he was and how he related to people. And this, this fresh encounter with Jesus helped me understand him better and feel like I could draw near to him more as well, that he wasn't so severe, but he was the kind of person that even a child would want to be around. Now, I've actually told that story before, but I say it again because it really points to why we're doing this series. We want to encounter Jesus, to see him. 
either for the first time, and I thought it was a great reminder from Michelle that this is a great series for us to be inviting non-Christian friends along to. So we want people to see Jesus perhaps for the first time or in a new way, a fresh way that revitalizes their faith or our faith. So we're going to do that over the next couple of months by looking at how other people encountered Jesus. We're going to see these brief one-off encounters between Jesus and a number of different characters in Luke's gospel, and then consider what we can learn from them about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, what he's like, about humans and how we respond to Jesus. Because I think in these stories, we'll find ourselves often in these people, see aspects that remind us of our of our own life. And then I want us to think about how we as humans, as God's people, can learn better to become disciples of Jesus. Uh, we were made in the image of God. Jesus restores us to that image. And so the Christian walk is so much about uh, following after Jesus, becoming more and more like him. And so as we do this, uh, go through this series, I want us to think about how we can become more like him as well. Now, you might wonder how we can do that with today's passage, because in today's passage, Jesus is just a baby. He's six weeks old. But I think there's actually a lot that we can learn from the people around him. First of all, with his parents and then with Simeon. So first of all, let's think about his parents because they really provided the environment in which Jesus grew up in. I want us to see two things about them from this passage. First of all, I want you to see how devout they were, how committed to God they were. We find them at the start of this passage coming up to Jerusalem as new parents, eager to perform everything that was required of new parents under God's law. That meant doing three big rituals, three ceremonies that they would undertake, a Jewish parent would undertake if they had a baby boy. The first was circumcision. This happened on the eighth day after the boy uh, boy was born, and it was the most vital sign that this child was part of the Jewish story, the, the Jewish people. Uh, circumcision was the ritual that God had given Abraham as a sign of the covenant that he'd made with Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 17 verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So circumcision showed that Jesus was a Jew, that he was part of the covenant people, that he was entering into this great stream of Jewish history. Jesus's parents would have done that. And now a few weeks later, they come up to Jerusalem for the the second big ritual. And that was the rite of purification after childbirth. Uh, In the Jewish law, there was lots of things that could render a person unclean and giving birth was one of them. This is outlined in Leviticus 12. If a woman conceives and bears a male child, she shall be unclean seven days. And for the next 33 days, she would not be able to participate in public worship. She would not be allowed to touch anything holy or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying were completed, uh, Leviticus 12. Now, it's important to note that she wasn't seen as morally unclean. Actually, many of God's laws were designed to protect health, the health of the baby and the health of the mother as she recovered from childbirth. And so this law was meant to do that, but it still meant that she needed to be purified. Until she did that, she couldn't come into worship. She couldn't go to church, so to speak. And we see here that Mary is eager to return, that she's eager to do this rite of purification. So that's the second thing we see. But then we also see this third ritual, the presentation of the firstborn. We're told in verse 22 that they come to the temple to present Jesus to the law. In Jewish law, the firstborn 
uh, animal or child would be presented to God. Uh, the animals would be offered as a sacrifice, but humans would be redeemed or bought back. Uh, five shekels given to the priest as a kind of tithe. And it was kind of a way, I suppose, of dedicating the child to God, a way of saying thank you for this gift of a child, but also saying we, we are committed to being a family that follows you, that sees this child as part of your people. And so I want you to see here just that's the mindset of Mary and Joseph, that they are devout people. See, one of the things I think we can do in this series every week is to explore the realities of the incarnation, to, to meditate on the wonder of God taking on, in through Jesus, taking on uh, a human uh, human nature, adding a human nature to his divine nature. And here we see the reality of his childhood, of what it looked like for him to grow up in this family. Yes, Jesus was the Son of God, eternally begotten by the Father, but he was also Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, born of a virgin, raised by parents who took very seriously the responsibility of uh, leading him and showing him and helping him to be a part of God's people. That meant that they fulfilled the law. That's why they're here. Verse 39 says they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They stayed in Jerusalem until they'd done all of that. But this was actually really important for us too. So in Galatians 4, we're told that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, to redeem us back to God, to bring us back to God, Jesus had to complete God's law. No one else had been able to do it. Humanity kept failing. And so the only way that we could be saved was if someone did fulfill the law. And so Jesus did that. He did that on our behalf. And he did that from the very earliest point, the first six weeks of his of his life, his parents are helping him fulfill the law. But it went beyond this first little phase. It went beyond rituals and, and so on. It actually uh, was far more than just ticking boxes. We know already that Mary was a very godly woman. Uh, you read her song in Luke 2. Uh, as she discovers that she's about to uh, have Jesus, uh, we see this deeply personal relationship she has with God. Actually, chapter 1, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. So she clearly had this wonderful relationship with God. And we see that Joseph is a man of great character as well. In Matthew 1, we're told he was a just man who, when he hears that Mary is pregnant, he doesn't yet know how, he was unwilling to put her to shame. Of course, an angel comes and tells him it's okay, the child conceived was from the Holy Spirit, and so he joyfully continues on with the marriage. But I love this little insight into his character. He was compassionate. And even when he feared Mary had done the wrong thing and cheated on him, he didn't want her to be embarrassed. That says something wonderful about his character. These were the kind of people that Jesus' human parents were like. So you can imagine that they took to the teaching and training of Jesus very seriously as well. Uh, God's people were instructed to teach their children and to raise them in the covenant. Deuteronomy 6, when God gives the law to his people, he tells parents, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I think it's fair to say, it's fair to assume that Joseph and Mary did that that they taught Jesus all of these things. In fact, in chapter 2 of Luke, uh, we read uh, 
about 12 years after this moment at the temple, the family come up again to Jerusalem and he's found seated among the teachers of the law. Chapter 2, verse 46, he's listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But he knew all of this stuff because his parents had taught him. They had taught him the law and fostered his passion for the truth. Now, something beautiful here. But something perhaps that we might not think about too much. You see, we might just think of Jesus as being supernaturally knowledgeable. This is Jesus, the eternal Son of God who knew all things. And so it makes sense to us that he knew the Word of God. I mean, he wrote it. But that glosses over the miracle and the complexity of the incarnation. In some mysterious way, Jesus because of his human nature, his knowledge was limited. He was restrained and constrained by that. And so he also had to learn. And his parents taught him. They instructed him in the law, went through the Torah with him because they wanted him to know it. Jesus grew up in a devout family. The other thing we see here, though, as well, is he grew up in a poor family. Uh, as we said before, they're up in Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice to purification. And in verse 24, we read that they gave a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, it's important to note that this is the option given only for poor people. You see, the standard offering for purification was a lamb and a pigeon. Uh, there was this cheaper option for the poor, a pair of turtle doves or something like that. That's what Mary offers, which means that Jesus grew up in a poor family. Now, that's really worth reflecting on. First of all, it shows us the extraordinary humility of Jesus. When the King of Kings and Lord of Lords stepped into creation, he grew up not in a palace, but in the home of a peasant. As Philippians 2 says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This also meant that he learned how to trust his heavenly Father. Uh, you might know that story later on in his ministry. Jesus encourages the poor uh, that they need to trust that God is looking after them. Luke 12, verse 22, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Then a few verses later, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus could say this because he knew it, because he'd experienced it. Jesus, the son of Joseph, had watched his parents wondering where their next meal was coming from, and then he'd seen his heavenly Father provide it. It's extraordinary. Uh, I love, we don't know a lot about Jesus's childhood or the, the period of life before he began his ministry, but it's about 30 years. And I love these little insights. It shows us what he was like. It shows, I think, his incredible humility and his love for God, his father. Now I want us to look at uh, not just his parents, but Simeon. See, Joseph and Mary bring up the child to Jerusalem and they present him to God and there they meet this bloke. Uh, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
few things we see about him here. First of all, he's righteous and devout. That means uh, he was righteous in his dealings with other people and he was devout. He was dedicated to God. It's also apparent that he had a very special relationship with God. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Uh, Now, we learned last week, didn't we, about the, the Spirit's role in our lives, getting inside us and changing us from the inside out. But the Spirit's role was a bit different before Jesus. Uh, Among God's people in the Old Testament, the Spirit would uh, have that kind of strong influence in in the lives of only some people and often some of the time. But it seems that Simeon was one of them. The Spirit was, uh, was upon him. The Spirit dwelt with him continually, revealing things to him and leading him, guiding his actions. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. He has this wonderful, intimate relationship with God through the Spirit. Now, that's probably also why he understood who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. Uh, We read in verse 25 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was waiting for the Messiah. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, of course you'll be familiar with this idea of the Messiah. God had chosen his people Israel uh, to be his people, to give them great blessings such as a land and so on, but they'd forfeited many of these by their sin. In fact, at this moment they live under the rule of the Romans. And yet God had promised them a Messiah, a great hero who would save them and restore them to God's blessing. The consolation of Israel, uh, he was known as, and he gave hope to their suffering. Now, this is what all of God's people were waiting for. And yet they had different ideas about what would happen when the Messiah would eventually come. Many of the Jews, perhaps most of them, thought of this Messiah as a political or a military saviour, a great warrior who would lead them into battle, perhaps like the great King David, someone who would overcome the Romans and throw off the yoke. And when someone came along who seemed able to do this, who promised to do this, they gravitated towards them. So 100 years before Jesus, there was a group called the Maccabees uh, who staged an uprising against the Greeks. And then 100 years after Jesus, there was a guy called Simon bar Kokhba who, who led a rebellion against the Romans, drawing many followers. But there were others who recognised that a, a saviour like this would be an inadequate and insufficient thing that a temporal saviour could only provide a temporary salvation and that something more was needed. These people were known as the quiet of the land, so-called, I suppose, because they were more quiet in spirit. They weren't looking for a a political revolution. They were looking for a spiritual renewal, a saviour who could restore them to God and secure their place with him. One who, just like the great prophet Isaiah had said centuries before, would carry their sorrows, would be pierced for their transgressions and crushed for their iniquities, but through whom their wounds would be healed. That's what they were looking for. And Simon is one of these people. Simon understood that he and all of God's people were sinners, sheep who'd gone astray, but that the Messiah would bring them home. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So just imagine his joy, his excitement, when God reveals to him that this Saviour, this Messiah, has been born, that the Messiah is here. We see his excitement 
Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Uh, The other day, it was our son Tate's eighth birthday. Tate basically lives for birthdays, birthdays and Christmases. In fact, he's already started counting down at Christmas. (laughs) That's because he always has his eye on a present, some some Lego that he really, really wants. He'll pick it out and then he'll spend all his time thinking about it. He'll find YouTube videos of people unboxing this particular one and and what stop motion animation as they're building it he'll tell me all the reasons why it's such a great deal and why i should get it for him and when the day comes close he'll he'll say oh maybe we should celebrate the birthday early i mean we wouldn't want to do it on a school day so he doesn't he doesn't have to wait those extra days and when he finally gets that lego he's so excited he explodes with joy does a little dance holds it up triumphantly over his head all these birthdays and Christmases have come at once. Well, that's a bit like what we see here with Simeon, except for something even better than Lego. He's been waiting for the Messiah, and God has promised that he will see it before he dies, that the Messiah will come in his lifetime. And then one day the Spirit brings him to the temple, prompts him to make this journey because it's time, and he sees this little baby And God tells him, this is the one. He's here. Here is your Christmas. In fact, it's Christmas for the whole world. You'll see that Simeon says, this this child will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon understands that this Messiah comes from Israel, the glory of Israel, but a blessing for the whole world, bringing life and light to everyone. That's what Simeon understands. And so he's so excited. But he also understands that there is complexity, there is difficulty, that this Messiah, this baby that he holds in his arms, will also divide and reveal. We see that in Simeon's prophecy, verse 34. Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, Simeon understands that while Jesus brings life, he also brings death, that while some will respond to him in faith, others will reject him. And, of course, that's what we see in the ministry of Jesus, John 1.11. He came to his own, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. This will be a great tragedy, and we're actually invited to feel it through the experience of Jesus' mother. Simeon warns her, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And you can imagine what it was like when she saw her own uh, friends and neighbours reject him in Nazareth. Or you think about the time 30 years from now when she'll come up to Jerusalem again and she'll hear the crowds demanding that her son is crucified, condemning her precious child over a hardened, violent criminal like Barabbas, and she'll be there at the foot of the cross watching as her son is beaten, abused, tormented, killed, 
a sword will pierce through her soul as well. She will suffer as he suffers. But why did people do this? Well, the Messiah will come, but as Simeon says, Jesus revealed the thoughts from many hearts. The Jews longed for a Messiah, but when he came, he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. He came to save them from sin, but they didn't like that. They felt that they didn't need that kind of saviour. They didn't want that kind of saviour. They would rather save themselves. And so they rejected him and killed him. But in so doing, God actually rejected them. This is, I think, what Simeon means when he talks about the fall of many in Israel. Jesus is described elsewhere as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. People found him confronting. They didn't like being exposed to their own sin and their own need. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was saying that they they needed a saviour. But in rejecting their Messiah, God's people forfeited their privileges. They gave up their place in God's house. They fell. But while they fell, others rose. You see, some people uh, weren't too proud. They were humble. They they saw that they needed a saviour, and they embraced Jesus. John 1 again, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We'll see some of these people in this series, people like Zacchaeus the tax collector, or legion, the demon-possessed, or the woman who everyone rejected as sinful but who was embraced by Jesus, people who were humble, who encountered him and responded in faith. Simeon can see all of this. As he holds this child in his arms, he can see what is ahead. God has revealed to him that this little baby is the one that everyone is waiting for, but that he will divide people. Some will rise and others will fall. He will bring life and he will bring death. What will he bring for you and for me? How will we respond to him? See, Simeon said that Jesus would reveal the hearts of many, and he still does. One writer says, Towards Jesus Christ there can be no neutrality. We either surrender to him or or are at war with him. It's not so much God who judges a man, a man judges himself, and his judgment is his reaction to Jesus Christ. If when he is confronted with that goodness and that loveliness, his heart runs out in answering love, he is within the kingdom. If when so confronted, he remains coldly unmoved or actively hostile, he is condemned. There is a great refusal as there is a great acceptance. Jesus brings life, but not everyone chooses that. Not everyone receives that gift. They would rather reject him. Jesus is the Messiah, but he won't be your Messiah unless you accept him, unless you recognise your need for him, repent and turn to him, and trust him for salvation. Some people will fall. We stumble over our own pride but others will humble themselves, and instead of stumbling, they'll kneel. And if we kneel, then God will raise us. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Simeon was one of those. And I think he emerges from this passage as the kind of disciple that God is looking for. His song that he sings as he sees Jesus has been called the Nunc Dimittis, which in Latin means, now let me depart. That's what Simeon says. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Now I can die happy because I have seen your salvation. This is the heart of a true disciple. All that Simeon had hoped for, had lived for, had arrived here in this little child, this little bundle of joy. And so Simeon can die happy. His life's work, his life's hope has been fulfilled. He's ready to die because he knows that he and all people can have eternal life. It struck me this week that this really is the path to true happiness. If we want to see God, if you want to see God glorified and his promise fulfilled, you will. If all you want is God, you'll always be satisfied. If you want his kingdom, you'll see it come. If you want to be a disciple, then you'll truly encounter Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this remarkable little insight into our Saviour. We thank you for the wonder of the incarnation, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, stepped into the world, came subduing himself, humbling himself, Lord, we find it so bizarre even to countenance and to understand his childhood. What was it like? How is it possible for the omniscient God, the God who knew everything, to learn to be a child? I mean, we thank you for the wonderful way that you prepared things, that you uh, gave him a home that was safe and happy and good with devout parents who sought to raise him to know not just their earth, his earthly parents but his heavenly father. Thank you for the extraordinary example of Simeon who was looking for this Messiah and we thank you that when he encountered him, there was so much joy. I pray, Lord, that we might have that same joy. May we humble ourselves. May we not stumble over you but kneel before you because then you will raise us up. Thank you that all who hunger for righteousness will be satisfied. Help us to encounter you today through this story and all through this series and to be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.